right, all right. Now, I'm not proud of this fact that I'm about to tell you guys, okay? I'm not proud of this. But there are a fair number of Sunday mornings that I stand right there on the landing. I listen to our musicians lead us in musical worship, and I get mad at them. I'm not proud of this fact, okay? Now, I need to be clear. I'm not mad at them because they're not doing a good job. I get mad at our musicians because they're doing too good of a job. You know what I'm saying? I get a little jealous when I watch these ridiculously talented people up here on stage doing what they do. Seriously, I would love to be able to sing as beautifully as my wife, Amber, or as wonderfully as Simone. I would love to be able to play some killer guitar licks like Desney does or to bang the sticks and cymbals like Allenson. I would love to have those talents. And sometimes when I'm sitting there and I'm watching them, I'm just like, how do you even do that? I'm a little jealous of the fact that you guys can sing so well. Guys, when I sing, it sounds like a drunk rooster crowing. You know, it just, it doesn't sound good. You don't want me on a microphone. By the way, I have no idea what a drunk rooster sounds like when it crows, but I imagine it's a little bit like what I sound like when I sing, you know? It's just not a pretty thing. And so I get a little bit jealous of these guys and how they have these skills and talents and abilities that, I don't know, I just don't think I'm ever gonna have. Anybody else with me? Do you ever look at somebody and the things that they can do and you're like, How do you do that? I don't understand how you make that happen so easily and effortlessly all the time. Maybe it's not music for you. Maybe you know people who who are gifted at drawing and artistry and you're like, I wish. Maybe you know people who can build things with their hands and you're like, I wish. I can't build anything at all, right? Maybe you, uh, you know people who never forget a name and you're like, is that, I, who taught you how to do that? I would give anything to be able to just remember names naturally. Maybe you know people and they can do math in their head. It just happens. You can see the number and they're just like, oh, the answer is 46. And you're like, what? I, can't, huh? I feel so inadequate sometimes when I look at people and their gifts and their skills and their talents. I feel so unable so ordinary, so unremarkable when I see talented people doing these incredible things. And I bet you've felt that way at some point in your life as well. You've seen somebody, you've seen their skills and talents and abilities, and you've thought to yourself, I don't, I can't do anything that good. I don't know who I am or what I'm supposed to be doing, but I can't play the keys like that. I can't close a sale. I can't work with my hands. I can't fix a car engine. That just ain't me. I don't know if I've got any skills or talents in this world. If you've ever felt that way, then today's gonna be a good message for you, I think. Because we're continuing our series called The Church Defined. And in today's message, what I wanna do is I wanna help you to see that you have more to offer the world than you think you do. You have more skill, more ability, more talent, more resources, more something to give the world than you've ever thought possible. In fact, I become convinced the longer I'm a pastor, the longer I see the church in action, the the more I read the Bible, I become convinced that it's ordinary people like me and like you that God uses to transform the world. 
It's not super bright, special, you know, very, very gifted people all the time. It is so common for God to use common people to do uncommon things in the world. And so today what I want to do is I want to show you one story. It's a short story from the book of Acts that illustrates this idea that every single one of us have more to offer the world than we think we do. Even if you don't look at yourself as a super talented person, even if you don't consider yourself to have any amazing skills or abilities, God has actually gifted and empowered every single one of you to make a difference in this world. And I think this story in the book of Acts is gonna help us to see how. So let's look at it. It's Acts chapter number three. That's where the story happens. And before we get too deep into it, let me just explain what the book of Acts is. The book of Acts is in the New Testament of the Bible, which means it happens after the life of Jesus, okay? And the book of Acts is essentially the continuation of the story of Jesus that began in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Jesus comes here to earth. He's a teacher, a miracle worker. Then he dies and resurrects from the dead. He's the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And then the Bible says he ascends to heaven. And all of his followers are like, well, now what? We thought this guy was gonna like establish some kingdom. We thought he was gonna like set up this big powerful organization and structure. And we were gonna be like, I don't know, living living large for the rest of our lives. What do we do now? Because Jesus is gone. Well, the answer to that question is everything that happens in the book of Acts. It is his followers living out his mission after Jesus is gone. So in Acts chapter number three, we read this story. The Bible says in verse one, Peter and John, who were two of the 12 apostles or disciples, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. All right, we're just gonna walk line by line through this text today. I'm gonna point out a few things to you along the way. So we, we read here that Peter and John were going to the Jewish temple, okay? They're in Jerusalem. They're going to the big giant church building, so to speak. But you know, it reminds me of something we said two weeks ago when we're defining the church. You remember two weeks ago, we said that church is the people and not the building. Do you guys remember that? Church is people, not building. Church is people, not building. We tend to talk about church in terms of the place that we go on Sunday mornings. I'm going to church. Uh -uh. From the New Testament perspective, we are the church. You can never not be the church. You can never not be at church, okay? So James, uh, James and John, Peter and John, are going to the temple, but I don't want you to misunderstand. They're not going to church. They are the church and they happen to be going to the place where the church is going to be gathered at a three o'clock prayer service. It says though that they were going one day. And we find out later in this passage that this was a weekday. See, Jewish people worship on Saturdays and those of us that are Christians, we worship on Sundays. And yet this episode that we're gonna read about, I don't know if it's like Monday or Thursday or what, but it was a weekday. We know that much. And it reminds me of what we said last week that church is a mission, not an event. So we've got people who are about to engage in the mission and they're not doing it at the church building and they're not doing it during the one hour on the weekend that they gather for quote unquote church. Something amazing is about to happen. And the reason it's gonna happen is because the people of God are living out the mission of God every single day. Now, one more thing I wanna point out, then we're gonna move on. It says, Peter and John, we're going together to the temple. 
Now, you may be like, who the heck is Peter? And who the heck is this John character? Well, let me tell you, they were opposite guys, okay? They were both followers of Jesus. They were both leaders in the early church, but they were very opposite types of people. Peter, we've talked about several times here on Sunday mornings, and he is this loud, talkative, aggressive, in-your-face kind of guy, right? He is task-oriented. He wants to get stuff done, crack the whip. He often jumps ahead and does something before he thinks through the consequences of what he's doing. He's one of those ready-fire-aim guys. If people in Peter's day were describing him, there would have been a lot of people that said, That Peter guy's kind of obnoxious, quite frankly. I don't know what I think about him. John was the exact opposite. John was much more reflective, thoughtful, quiet. John was people-oriented. People might have described him as tender, creative. He was cerebral. He was a thinker. And yet these two guys, very opposite in personality, very opposite in gifting, The church, the mission of Jesus has brought these two very, very different people together. To me, I think that's really cool because you don't have to look like me in order to be a part of the mission, the church of Jesus. And everybody said amen because you don't wanna look like me. I get that. You don't have the same gifts. You don't have to have the same gifts as me in order to be a part of the church of Jesus. You don't have to have the same history as me. You don't have to have the same hopes and dreams and desires or connections or knowledge or any of that stuff. You can be you. And you can be you and still be a part of the church of Jesus. I just think that's really cool. And if you don't think it's cool yet, I think by the end of the message today, when we circle back to this, you're going to think it's pretty cool. Okay, verse two. The Bible says, they went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth. Okay, this is one of those times the Bible uses a weird word. Lame doesn't mean like, oh, that guy's so lame. Lame means his, his legs didn't work, okay? It's an old English kind of word for somebody who is paralyzed, okay? So this guy was paralyzed from birth. And the Bible says in verse two, as they approached the temple, a man who had been paralyzed from birth was being carried in. Each day, He was put beside the temple gate, the one that was called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. Okay, so we find out later in Acts chapter number four that this guy was 40 years old and he had been paralyzed since birth. So this is all he knew his entire life. Four full decades, this guy had been handicapped. He had been in trouble. He had been reliant on the help of his family and friends and total strangers. Now, I I don't wanna make too big a deal out of this, okay? But I think this is really interesting that the Bible says that he was carried to the beautiful gate. So the temple in Jerusalem had many different gates. There were several of them. And this one was called the beautiful gate because it was decorated more than any of the other gates that were around the temple in Jerusalem. Now, stay with me here, okay? If you were a beggar in the first century and your job was to get in front of crowds and to ask them for alms, for money, where would you wanna go? You would want to go to the place with the highest foot traffic, right? That's, I mean, that's why if you go to Vegas, where are people who are panhandling? They're on the street. They're on the strip. They're like, as soon as you walk by, they're asking for help, right? So to me, this is just such a, a tiny little detail, but I think it communicates a whole lot. Because if somebody made up this story, particularly 100 or 200 years after it supposedly happened, then people in that time would have had no idea that beggars hung out at the beautiful gate. 
They wouldn't have known that. But the fact that it's included there is just this tiny little piece of internal evidence that you could probably just throw away and say, eh, no big deal. But to me, it's just kind of interesting. It bears a little ring to a story that at least has some truth. I think a lot of truth to it. So anyway, beautiful gate, beggar is laid there. And in verse three, the scripture says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked them for some money. So this beggar did what he had done for 40 years. He asked the people walking by for a little bit of help, for money. Nothing wrong with that. But I think it's interesting that this guy thought that money was what he needed. He thought that money was going to fix his problems, that money was going to relieve his suffering. He thought that money would be the answer to his prayers. And yet God had something much better than money in store for him. God wanted to give him something even bigger than a little bit of cash. He wanted to give him healing. He wanted to give him freedom. He wanted to give him restoration in his relationship to God. But this man would have been satisfied if he had gotten a toonie. It made me think as I was reading through this over the last couple of weeks, it really made me reflect and ask the question, how often do I think I know what will make me happy and satisfied in life? And I end up settling for something less than God's best. I wonder how many times God wants to change my life, but I'm busy chasing pocket change. Things that I think I need, things that I think are the answers to my problem. But because I have such low expectations, I miss out on God's greatest blessings. I found that very convicting. This guy thought money was going to be the answer to his problems. And instead, God had something much bigger in store for him. So we read in the next verse here, verse uh, number four, Peter and John looked at him intently. And then Peter said, look at us. Okay. So we'll finish it here. The layman looked at them eagerly, expecting to read money. I've read this passage like dozens and dozens of times. I preached here at Connect on this particular passage before. And I have to tell you, there were two things this past week or two that jumped out at me that I just don't think I've ever seen in the passage. And the first one is right here. It is so weird to me that the Bible highlights that Peter and John looked intently at this man. Like, if you just stop and think about it, that's a weird statement to make. Why would the Bible say Peter and John looked intently? Like, that's kind of creepy, man. You know what I mean? Like, why were they staring? What does this mean? So I decided I was going to do a little bit of digging. Digging I had never actually done before on this particular verse. And you know what I found out? The Greek word, the Bible, the New Testament at least, was originally written in Greek. And the Greek word that's used to translate, they looked intently at him. I'll put it here on the screen for you. It's a word pronounced atenizo. What word do you think we derive in English from atenizo? Attention. This is fascinating to me. Peter and John paid attention to the man. Peter and John took notice of somebody that most people look right past. 
Come on, can we just be honest for a minute? When you and I encounter a panhandler, we're immediately like, what can I do? Where's a distraction that can, you know, I don't want to make eye contact. I don't want to give this guy the idea that somehow I've got something for him. So you begin this suddenly deep conversation with the person that you're with. Oh, did you see that show the other night? Yeah, it was amazing, wasn't it? You're like, a bird? Did you see that bird fly overhead? Literally anything you can do to not pay attention to the person in need. But the Bible just takes a moment to point out that Peter and John actually paid attention when everybody else was ignoring. I'm sure that Peter and John were busy dudes, you know? So I'm sure they didn't want to be late for the three o'clock prayer meeting. And I'm sure after the three o'clock prayer meeting, they had a busy day of apostling scheduled, right? Whatever it was that apostles did in the first century, I'm sure they had a lot of it on tap. But guess what? Peter and John refused to let their obligations interfere with the opportunities that God had for them. Peter and John refused to allow their obligations to interfere with these incredible opportunities that God wanted to put in front of them. They had their eyes open. They were seeing things that nobody else was seeing. They were paying attention when everybody else was looking the other way. Why? Well, I think part of the reason is because, as I keep telling you in this series, church is a mission, not an event. And the mission of God is people. People are the mission. You are the ones who carry out the mission, and the goal of the mission is to reach people, to pay attention to the people that the world often overlooks, maybe like me and you, the ones who don't have the crazy skills, the ones who feel ordinary, the ones who don't think we have a whole lot to offer the world. The mission of Jesus is to pay attention to those people and then to do what you can to point them towards God. Let me ask you this question. What special skills does it take to pay attention to people? Zero. You don't have to have any special skills to pay attention to somebody that God puts in your path. You don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to rip some lead electric lines. You don't have to brew the best beans in Calgary. You don't have to memorize the books of the Bible. Literally anybody can pay attention to other people. And this is the first part of the mission that Peter and John were living out. I just love this because the mission of God, the church in action, it calls us beyond ourselves. If I'm going to be real for a moment, you guys, too often my attention is on me. I am etanizo on Dan on my needs. I'm looking intently at my bank account. I'm looking intently at the model and year of the car I drive. I'm looking intently about the clothes I'm wearing or about what people say about me. I'm looking intently at me. And part of the reason that I need the church, the mission of God so badly is because it calls me beyond myself into something bigger, something better, something transformative. This is what it means to be a part of the mission of God. It starts by paying attention where other people are turning a blind eye. Okay. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. So the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. I'm sure the paralyzed guy was like, next? (laughs) Okay, good. But then Peter says, 
what I do have. I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. The first time I read this, I thought, man, Peter's kind of coming across a little bit harsh here, isn't he? Right? Like, sorry, buddy, I don't have any change for you. Leave me alone. But although he didn't have everything the man needed, it didn't prevent him from giving to the man what he did have. I'm going to say that again because you're going to need to catch this, okay? Although he didn't have everything the man needed, it didn't stop him from giving the man what he did have. Takes us back to what I mentioned at the top of the service. I can't sing, but God calls me to give what I do have. I I don't have all the answers, but I'll give you what I do have. Silver and gold have I none, I promise you that. But what I do have, I'll give you. Can I share with you a principle that absolutely changed my approach to serving, to giving, to helping other people? This was so transformative. I think about it once a week probably. And I think it has some power in your life as well. God never asks you to fill anyone else's cup. He only asks you to empty yours. God never asks you to fill somebody else's cup. He only asks you to empty yours. Listen, there are a lot of needs in our world. There are a lot of places where you could get involved and help and volunteer or give money or pray or whatever it might be. And when you look at it at that broad scale, you might say, well, there's nothing I could do that would make a difference. I don't have any resources to offer. I just can't. There's no way I could make a dent in any of that. But you know, God doesn't want you to meet all the needs in the world. Instead, God has empowered you to meet some of the needs in the world. We can't let the fact that we can't give the world everything it needs stop us from giving the world what it does need that we've got. There are a lot of needs at Connect Church. I'll just be real with you. There are a lot of needs around here. And if I were to list them all off, you might say like, good luck, buddy. I can't help you with all that. That's too overwhelming. I'm too ordinary. I'm too unskilled. I'm completely unqualified. But listen, God is not asking you to meet every single need at Connect Church. He is asking you to pay attention to the people and places where you can make a difference. That is the principle. That's the point that he's trying to make here in this passage. Boy, I want to see it. I want to get it. I want to take hold of it. And I want to live it out to the very best of my ability. And I want to challenge you to live that out to the very, very best of your ability to take your place in the mission of God. Okay, let's go on. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, he stood on his feet, and he began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now look, it's really easy, especially if you come from a skeptical bent. And remember, I didn't grow up in church. So the first time I ever read this, I was like, you can't actually believe this happened, do you? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Okay, it's easy to get hung up on that. But let's not overlook the fact that Peter simply gave the man a hand. That was it. 
Peter gave a hand to the person in need. He didn't anoint him with special oil. He didn't pray a long-winded flowery prayer. He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't organize a successful GoFundMe. He gave the man a hand. And God used that simple act to do something amazing. It's so good. God shows he's able just as soon as we show we're available. This wasn't Peter doing anything. Peter didn't do anything except give the dude a hand. God did something that only God could do. But only God, God could only do it when Peter made himself available to God. God shows he's able as soon as we show we're available. You've heard it said, your greatest ability is your availability. But I think that's cheesy. So I reworded it better. God shows he's able as soon as we show we're available. Listen, this is so good. The only thing that Peter had to do was pay attention and lend a hand. God did the rest. He, he wasn't, like Peter didn't go into this thinking, okay, let me remember my seminary days when they taught us how to heal paralyzed men. I guarantee you that didn't happen. Instead, he paid attention. He saw somebody in need. He offered the little bit that he had. And he said, God, if you want to use this, I'm available. That is amazing. And that simple approach of ordinary people like me and you living on mission every single day has changed the world. And it's gonna continue to change the world. And you can be a part of it. Let's wrap up the story. Verse number nine. All the people saw this formerly paralyzed man walking and they heard him praising God. When they realized that he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Yeah, you think? They all rushed out in amazement to the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and to John. Peter's simple act of helping, lending a hand, paying attention, noticing something that most people didn't see, and then lending a hand where he could, it changed this man's life. It brought him healing, gave him a new relationship. It caused the world to take notice of what God was up to in Jerusalem at the time. So good. Now, here's the deal. Uh, when I originally wrote this message, this was the ending point. It's not. <laughs> because as I was reading through it just a few days ago, there was something that struck me that, again, this is the second thing I've never, ever noticed in this passage, despite the fact that I've read it and taught on it many, many times. The thought occurred to me, did you notice there at the end in verse number 11, it said the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. That struck me. Because when I look back, I'm left with the question, what was John doing in all of this? What was John up to during this whole time? Because if you pay close attention, John was there at the start and he's there at the end. The guy's giving him a big hug and he's like, thank you, John, for changing my life. But John did, like, it seems like John did nothing in the middle. Peter is the only one that we see at work when this miracle takes place. So where was John? What was John doing? I guess it's possible that John was kind of standing off to the side with his hands in his pockets, you know? It's possible he was doing that. But you know, John gets credit for whatever's happening here, equally with Peter. It's not like, Peter, thank you for changing my life and cool, John, good to meet you, yeah. No, he's grabbing Peter and John. He's giving them both credit saying, thank you 
for allowing God to use you to change my life. See, I don't think that the apostle John was like standing there off to the side, picking dandelions, wondering where he and Peter were gonna go have dinner later that evening. I think John was at work. I think he was doing something. I don't know what homeboy was doing. I don't know if he was praying off to the side. I don't know if he was working crowd control, trying to keep people away. I don't know if he was Peter's hype man. He's like, oh, come on, do you guys see this? I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was doing. The Bible doesn't even tell us what he was up to, but he was up to something. And I think that's meaningful. The more I thought about this, the more I realized that John shared the credit because although he didn't share the spotlight, he was still at work. God showed me this week. He reminded me that the church needs people in the spotlight and behind the scenes in equal measure. The church needs people in the spotlight like me and Simone and Desiney and, you know, Aaron, everybody else. He needs people in the spotlight and he needs people who are behind the scenes. And both are equally important in the mission of God. It doesn't matter if you're standing on stage or if you're serving behind the scenes, you are an important part of what God is doing in the world. So here's how I wanna end the service. I wanna end it by asking you to join the Connect Dream Team. I do. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it out there. You, in the seats, I want you to come join the Connect Dream Team. Now, maybe you say, what the heck is the dream team? Sounds like a cult. It's not. The dream team are the people of God who make the mission of God happen every single week. We said church is the people, not the building. And church is a mission, not an event. So the dream team are the people who make the mission happen every week. And I'll just tell you, there is a spot on the dream team for you. Now, look, I've done this for a long time. I've been in your shoes. Remember, I wasn't raised in church. I remember the first time somebody asked me to volunteer. I had a hundred reasons why that was not going to happen. And I know what you're already thinking. Some of you are having some buts in your mind right now. There are some buts that come to your brain, right? Let's put one of them up here. But you might say, I'm new around here. Dan, I've only been coming for a couple of weeks. You don't want me yet, right? Yeah, I do. There's like no sort of probationary period around here where you got to hang out so I can watch you. I'm like, "Mm, what do I think of that girl? Nah, she ain't right for this team. Nah. No, there's no probationary period. Listen, you can sign up the first time you show up because God's mission is too important to wait on. I'm not waiting. I don't want you to wait. Come on, join the team. I don't care if it's your first Sunday, you can still find your place to make a difference in the world here. And particularly you guys, if you've been coming for months and months and months and months, and if you call yourself a Christian, I need you out of a seat and I need you on a serve team. Because once we get back into the fall, those of you guys that were here before the summer, you know this theater fills up quick. And we need all the people we can serving and creating room for all the people who are coming to Jesus here at Connect. So I need you, even if you're new, to come join us in the mission. You might have another but in your mind. Let's put it up there. But 
I'm not even a Christian, Dan. I think you guys are nuts. Like, I don't believe that guy was healed. I don't believe that BS for one minute. I get it. Totally. I get it. Do you know that there are, we have a hundred and I don't know, 30, 40 people that serve on the dream team here at Connect. Do you know that there are a significant percentage of them that are trying to figure out what they believe? They don't even know. And they'll tell you straight up, yeah, I like this church thing. I like Dan. He's an okay guy. I like serving. That's meaningful to me. But I'm just not sure where I stand with Jesus. You don't have to be a Christian in order to serve on the dream team. You can actually take part in the mission of God. Now you say, but why would I do that? Here's why. There are a bunch of reasons, but let me give you one. Okay. You probably have in your mind this stereotype that Christians are weird folks. You're probably like, you guys are strange. You believe goofy things. You're probably obnoxious. I'm not going to like you. The best way to find out, you can confirm your suspicions or you might find out that we're all pretty normal people and some of us are actually fun to hang out with. The best way to figure it out one way or the other is to come behind the curtain, come behind the scenes with us, serve for a little bit. And you know what I think you'll find? I think you'll find that we are in private who we say we are in person. That the things that I talk about here on Sunday, it's not just hype from one guy. It is what the entire team believes and lives because church is not a building. It's people. It's not an event. It's a mission. It's a thing you give yourself to because it changed our lives and we believe it can change the lives of the world as well. So I don't care if you're not a Christian. Now, I'm not gonna let you teach like our youth ministry, okay? So don't worry about that. But you could probably brew some coffee. You could probably push some carts. We can give you something to do that will be meaningful and helpful in advancing the mission. All right, a couple more butts. But I don't have time. I get it, I get it. I don't have time. I get that. It's fair. But listen, we do our best as an organization, as Connect, to make it as convenient as possible for our dream team to serve. Do you know that when you sign up to serve on the dream team, you choose every month which Sundays you want to serve on and which Sundays you don't, and you choose what role you serve in on Sunday mornings. We promise our dream teamers, you schedule you, we don't schedule you. It's not like I'm your manager and I'm putting out the weekly schedule and I'm like, hey, you got to work on Sunday, man. Sorry about that. But at the start of every month, you say, you know what? I've got one Sunday I can give you guys, or I've got two or three. We've got some people that serve four Sundays because they're crazy, right? But you decide how often you want to serve, which Sundays you serve, and you decide what role it is that you want to serve in. So if you say, Dan, I hate kids, I'm not going to put you back with kids. If you say, Dan, I love technology, I love details, but people kind of weird me out. Cool, I'll train you to serve on our tech team. You say, Dan, I couldn't care less about wires and lights, but I really like saying hello and greeting people. Wonderful, let me put you on the front door. You get to choose based on your wiring and gifting and desires. Because here's what I believe. If we can find a place of service for you that is in line with the wiring and gifting that God has given you, suddenly Sundays become fun. Ask anybody on our dream team. They'll tell you, serving does not drain me. Serving fills me. And serving fills me because I'm doing what I was created to do all along. And I see how it's making a difference. So yeah, I get it. You're busy. 
everybody's busy, but the mission of God is so important that there are some people who would even reprioritize their schedule so that they could give one Sunday morning a month to help transform the cities of Calgary and Airdrie. Last but. You might say, but I don't know what I'd be good at. Because Dan, I'm gonna tell you straight up, I can't stand in front of people in the spotlight and speak. And I can't sing. And I can't teach kids the Bible. And my husband doesn't even let me brew coffee at home because it's so weak. I don't, I don't know what I would do. I don't have any skills to offer. Can I tell you? Yes, you do. We believe at Connect Church that everybody is a 10 at something. You may not know what you're a 10 at yet, but we will help you figure it out. That is our process called Next Steps. Next Steps, the whole point of Next Steps is to help you figure out how God has created you to see and sense and call out the giftings that you have so that we can put you, deploy you, set you free to go, as we said last week, turn some locks, set some folks free, change the world. So today, listen, Next Steps 1 is today. So like, this is the time to jump in because you can't keep coming and sitting on Sundays and just passively observing. You gotta get in. You gotta be a part of what's happening. It, I, I tell you all the time, I would never come to a church and sit and watch some idiot scream for 30 minutes. Our band is incredible, you guys. They're so good. But can I tell you straight up, I would never go to a church and listen to amateurs cover versions that I can hear the professionals do on Spotify. I would never do that. On Sundays, you can come and sit and you will get worship and you will get word. But can I tell you, you'll get worship and word on your own if you want it. There are better preachers than me. There are better bands than our band. So you can find that somewhere else. But you know what you cannot find on your own? You'll only find this on Sunday mornings. Relationships and an opportunity to make a difference. So today, I'm asking you guys, I'm not gonna beg you, but I'm, I'm encouraging. Next steps is 30 minutes and it happens like just after the service ends. It's in the party room up front. I'm gonna be there. My wife's gonna be there. My dude Kyle's gonna be there. A couple of our other team members are gonna be there. And I, I promise you, you won't regret it. So today you're going through Next Steps 1. Just mark it down. You're gonna have lunch at 1130 instead of 11. Come hang out with us. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Until you get plugged in, church is always gonna be a bit superficial. 